Hi, everyone. Before we get to today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that LCI has another podcast called the Faith Seeking Freedom Podcast. It's a little bit different from what you're used to. And because it's very different, we don't want to keep it in this podcast feed. So you can actually go subscribe to the Faith Seeking Freedom Podcast wherever you get your podcast. The Faith Seeking Freedom podcast is a podcast that is entirely question and answer. And because we've kept each episode short, we can actually release them more frequently. And you can actually listen to them in a shorter time frame. And you can even share them with friends or people that you want to spread the message of liberty. So check out and subscribe to the Faith Seeking Freedom podcast. Okay, back to the regular podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I am your host, Doug Stewart, and today I want to talk to you about critical race theory. I do not have a special guest. I have some thoughts that I want to share of my own on the matter, and partly because I believe that how I've approached the topic of critical race theory in terms of a learner of what it is, what to do about it, how much of it is worthwhile to acknowledge as having some value to the conversation about society and racism and some other things. I feel like the approach that I've taken is actually one that could be taken among about a lot of things. So I want to share with you a little bit of my approach and how I've come to learn about critical race theory. This episode is not exactly going to be a here is what critical race theory is with an analysis, although you can sort of read that through the way in which I approach it and the way in which I sort of describe it. I did do an episode with Phil Magnus not too long ago about the issue, and I do plan to have on some other voices that are both critical and hopefully I will get some people who are willing to come on and talk about it with a libertarian who, you know, a critical race theorist or adherent of critical race theory is probably not going to feel like they're in friendly territory, but I tend to tell people that they'll be in friendly territory. So hopefully we'll have some conversations with both pro and con or critical and embracing, if you will, of critical race theory in the future. So we'll see how that actually goes. But for now, I want to actually talk about what I've done to, to approach the topic and what I have learned along the way. So the first question that might be, you might be wondering is, well, why should I care about critical race theory? I know many who I've conversed with, either in our social media platforms or even through email, both are like, this is kind of a dumb fad that is just the left going unhinged. It's just this new wokeism that is a mind virus that has infected the left. And, you know, what used to be the old left, kind of the Bill Maher, Sam Harris types who are more like, liberals in a you know traditional sense you know those people are still reasonable but these other people are just like everything's wrong with society and you can blame it on racism or sexism or whatever bad thing happens to be this week so i would challenge that notion that it is a fad that is going away i believe that it is probably far more of a problem in our institutions and in our society than than we realize i believe that we're probably coming to a point where we're all noticing the popular level, either embrace or tolerance of it. And so it's very difficult to say that this is just a fad when actually what we're seeing is probably the end of a decades-long push to get 
critical theory and with that critical race theory through institutions and down to our children and schools and so forth. So it is something that in and of itself is not just this sort of fringe fad. We could only hope that that's really what it is. And maybe if it is, I would love to be wrong. I would love for the left to come to its senses and embrace the old liberalism that they used to say they believe in. But that doesn't seem anywhere on the horizon. The other thing is we have to be prepared with adequate minds understanding critical race theory and not just coming against some of the fringe loonies, as a friend of mine said. You know, there's always loonies in every group. Libertarians are not excluded from that statement. And we need to be prepared to adequately defend liberalism and uh, the values of a free society. And critical race theory directly challenges that. You will hear people say that it doesn't, but it actually does. The other thing is, there is definitely some value in learning about critical race theory and even probably learning from critical race theory. At this stage, and I won't reveal too much because that's kind of the point of this episode, I will say that there is some value in critical race theory. You will probably gauge based on how the end of this episode goes as to how much value I place in it. But we'll see where that goes in the conversation. So you can learn about it and actually strengthen your minds and understand just what sorts of arguments need to be allayed against it. And you can also learn from it because it's probably true in just about everything that there's always a kernel of truth in something. And we want to learn from that and actually put things in their proper place. On a personal note, I was educated at a seminary that was friendly toward the postmodern turn in theology at the turn of this century, now entering the 21st century. And it was enlightening for me, which is kind of an ironic way to put that because postmodernity is generally anti-enlightenment values. And it was helpful for me to be able to see how deconstructing dangerous parts of one's faith can actually be rehabilitating to one's faith. I know a lot of people who grew up in abusive, fundamentalist, biblicist homes with a lot of abuse that was a byproduct of harmful versions of Christianity and Protestantism. And I think those sorts of things are worth deconstructing and how the praxeology or the practice of one's faith is tied to the theology. And I believe that there can be theologies that lead to dangerous actions. There also can just be bad people who take those theologies in a bad way. But anyway, the point here I'm trying to make is that my particular personal education getting my Master of Divinity was at an institution that, I mean, we weren't talking about critical race theory. We were somewhat talking about emergent church and postmodernism. And it wasn't necessarily like, oh yeah, this is really great. Emergent church is the next wave or postmodernity is really awesome, but it wasn't against it. It was basically saying, how can we learn from this? And what can we do to see the culture doing what it's doing? How can we speak to the culture? So there was a lot of narrative storytelling. There was a lot of Biblical theology as opposed to uh, systematic theology was sort of a priority there. And so there is a soft spot for me in my mind for something that we can call the social gospel. For those of you who have read some of my older articles and even book reviews on things about the social gospel, I'm not entirely opposed to the term. I have come to learn that, well, actually it was always this way, but I've come to learn that the term social gospel actually has a particular meaning. It has a particular background to it. And so the term 
in a neutral way, I actually am not really that afraid of, really. Because the good news in my mind redeems all of creation. Christ, the announcement that Christ has re- is redeeming all of creation, not just our disembodied souls, we can work for the kingdom of God by doing justice properly defined. Social justice and the social gospel as it arose around 100 years ago was a particular strain of Christian thinking and theology that I don't believe is entirely on the right track, but I think it was possibly a needed corrective to a theology that didn't speak to God loving and wanting to deal with God's creation here and now. So while doing justice has become a narrow set of beliefs about what constitutes the doing part, you know, mostly people on the left say that it has to do with government doing things on behalf of society, those things are highly suspect. So we need to have a conversation about what justice is. And the critical race theory conversation is a, an attempt to talk about what can be done about injustices. And we need to be prepared to have a, an intelligent conversation with people who believe in critical race theory or in critical theory or postmodernism or social justice. Those people are worth discussing because they might have something to say about what's wrong with society. It's whether or not we can come to a conclusion on how to address things, which I think most libertarian Christians kind of already know this. It's like, well, okay, fine, there's sin. How do we deal with the problem? Oh, there's issues in society? Oh, well, how do we come together and and deal with that problem if it can be dealt with at all? The other thing is that critical race theory has become sort of the, the right's latest boogeyman. At least that's what the left thinks. And so anytime you see somebody sort of ranting and raving about critical race theory, and they're usually like a Republican senator or governor or whatever, they might be onto something. But a lot of times, because they're trying to draw attention to themselves, the way in which they do this is maybe not distasteful, but it's like, oh, man, you're making people who are against critical race theory look really bad, right? So there's a lot of bad actors out there. There's loonies again. And so critical race theory has become the right's latest boogeyman. And it's maybe rightly so, but the right, and of course the left as well, but the right has, has a pretty good history of having the latest thing, whatever that may be, that they decide is the thing that they need to go against culturally. Now, I do believe, I'm, I'm going to give the right a little bit more credit than the left tends to and say that some of those things are actually worth being against and they're actually worth standing up for. And the left has a very, very good way of, I wouldn't say good, but they have a very strategic way of dealing with it. And it's basically to, to say, oh, you're just being apoplectic and you're just being unreasonable. And of course, you don't understand what critical race theory is or you don't understand what the sex education curriculum is really trying to teach or whatever it might be. They're just going to, they'll just say, oh, well, you just don't really understand. Or, oh, it's just a bunch of older white senators who are trying to push this. Of course, older white senators have, can't say anything related to, you know, the sexual health and well-being of high school teenagers or something like that. So, of course, they're going to sort of obfuscate how that is being talked about because they own the narrative. The last reason I want to talk a little bit here about critical race theory, before we actually jump in, is critical race theory has a lot of flexibility in its meaning. And so (laughs) when you talk about it with people online, they're going to say one thing and you're going to be like, whoa, hold on, you're not talking about critical race theory, you're just talking about X or Y. And they're going to be like, no, that's what critical race theory is. And so you have to be intelligent about talking about it. So in a way, we can see this as a little bit of a guide for understanding critical race theory. Although I would say 
what I'm about to go through can be applied pretty much anywhere. So let me go over some, what I might call some principles or guiding principles in how I approached learning about critical race theory. And remember, I have come from a theological tradition, at least since I've been, was educated in seminary, that is friendly to some of these ideas of critiquing society and understanding what's wrong with society. So I have friends, both theological friends that I actually know and also people that I've met online and become friends with who I very much trust as Christians and I trust their character and so forth, but they're friendly to critical race theory. And so what I've actually done is ask them, like, what should I read? And so I've begun reading and am still and have read, it depends on the book, some of the source material. And I've done it with an open mind thinking basically, maybe there's something of value here. Can I identify what that is? The first book that I read was Critical Race Theory, and Introduction, and that is by Richard Delgado and Gene Stefanczyk. The other one that I'm still, you know, working on is Critical Race Theory, Key Writings That Formed the Movement. The first one by Delgado and Stefanczyk is like 100 pages. It's very accessible. It's high school level reading, and it's also very succinct. These are from people who are there at the beginning of the movement. The officially, the start was about 1989 in the fall. And they are the ones who have the most succinct definition from themselves of critical race theory. Now, again, that's, what, 30-some years ago. So we're dealing with some evolution of the terminology. So it's not going to be quite exact depending on who you're talking to. So you, again, even though you go to the source, you might, you might encounter people who say critical race theory is, oh, oh it's, also, it's this. And it's not just that. It's this. So you're always going to have to have that. You're always going to encounter that, I should say. The key point here is you need to understand these theorists from their own words, okay? So if you are going to understand critical race theory, you are probably not going to want to read Robin D'Angelo, who is a critical whiteness studies person. And she is, I think, possibly the craziest of all of the writings out there. Because it's just like, how can you think this way? Okay, so you can sort of go read her, fine, whatever. But you probably, if you want to really understand critical race theory, you want to understand it from sort of the academics that have written in a way that we can all understand. Or if you're more of an academic and really want to dive into the key writings, you can do that as well. The key writings that form the movement, that book is pretty lengthy and pretty intense. So you want to understand the theorists from their own words and be ready with definitions, which we'll get to here in a minute on one of my ways of dealing with people online and communicating with them, which makes it a little bit easier to deal with. One caveat, though, the caveat here is that when you see words that they use, they are not always using them in the same ways that you mean them. And in a way, those words are not just like, not defined properly. They are using these terms and words in a particular way that is part of their ideology. And I'm not going to make that a, this is a good or bad situation, but you have to be aware that they might share your vocabulary, but they don't share your dictionary. That phrase is something I heard from James Lindsay. I'm not sure if he was the person who sort of first coined that phrase or not. It's probably not, but that's where I first heard it. Principle number two, we need to differentiate between the theory and the movement. There's a lot of woke culture that is not critical race theory. There are people out there who want you to think they're the same. And there is a lot of overlap. Don't misunderstand that there's a lot of overlap. But it's easy to just define anybody who seems woke and is acting in such a woke way 
that they are just influenced by critical race theory. Well, that's not necessarily true. It's also possible that they're just informed by critical theory. They might just be a dumb college student, okay? Because, you know, hey, we were all dumb college students at one point. I can think of maybe two or three people who weren't dumb in college. But anyway, woke culture and critical race theory are not the same. Critical race theory is actually a critical theory about race that started as a legal theory. And so it actually has some substantial writings behind it that we should become familiar with. And those people who are part of woke culture might not actually even be familiar with it. You probably know somebody who is very much about racial justice. They're very in favor of finding ways to make sure that minorities are not disenfranchised. And they might have completely good intentions. And you might even say to them, or not say to them, but think about them, oh, yeah, they're woke. Okay, and and you might even think, oh, well, but they're really well-intentioned, so maybe woke culture isn't that bad. That's very likely the case, that there are a lot of people out there who just sincerely care about race relations. There are a lot of Christians out there who have never even heard of critical race theory, never even studied critical race theory, never even heard critical race theory taught in their churches, either officially or by another name, or sort of under the auspices of something else. And they might just be like, hey, there's racism out there and we want to deal with it. So somebody wanting to deal with racism does not mean they're woke, and it also doesn't mean they're a critical race theorist. The other thing about differentiating between the theory and the movement is that there's this difference between there's some truth to this, the statement, there's some truth to this. When you read, say, critical race theory and introduction, which, by the way, I've read, and I was reading this, I'm like, well, this doesn't sound so terrible. I can see a lot of truth in this. We'll get to sort of the problems a little bit later. There's a huge difference between that and on the other side, this is how we should think about society entirely. And that is what the movement seems to be about. And we all know this. We've weaponized the vulnerability for us to be sensitive about race issues. And you've made it so that white people can't even talk about it, can't even say anything of value, can't even do anything about their inherent racism. That's sort of where we've gone to in a lot of people's minds. Now, it's not everybody. Again, got to deal with people on an individual basis. But this is the mindset that tends to incorporate people who are woke it's becoming a totalizing ideology in that there's more than just some truth to it. It's like, nope, this is the whole truth. This is what we need to see throughout the world. We need to always see things in terms of race. Okay, that's kind of where things are going. And again, you're going to find people who say, "Ah, critical race theory doesn't say that. Well, Well, we'll get there in a minute because actually it does. When you talk to people about racism and anti racism, because it's not good enough to be a non racist, you have to be anti racist, according to critical race theorists and the woke. You need to get your terms defined, meaning you need to ask them for definition. Ask them what they mean. And then pay attention to how they use their words and and if they're sort of using a tautology about, well, they're just racist because they're acting racist. Okay, well, what does that mean? You kind of get down to the bottom of it to help you understand. And you could do this in the spirit of not like trying to trap them in a corner, but do this in a spirit of like, well, look, I'm really trying to understand what you mean here because it doesn't, I'm not quite understanding, and I really do want to understand. So you want to be able to get your terms from the people who you're talking to. Because if you're talking about... Well, I've done this before in the past where I felt really bad. I've actually like thought I was debating a person who thought X, and really they thought Y. And they're similar enough, but it wasn't quite the argument they were making. And I was arguing against somebody that wasn't actually making the argument I was arguing against. (laughs) So you know, mea culpa on me, right? So you don't want to be in that position. 
So principle number one, read the source material with an open mind. Just ask yourself, there could be something of value here. Can I find what that value is? You might come up with more than I. You might come up with less than I as I was reading about this. Principle number two, differentiate between the theory and the movement. And now principle number three, learn from sources that are making rational arguments against or about critical race theory. And not just those on the far right be basically mimetically mirroring the angst and apoplecticness of the left. Okay, you don't want... I don't think that's a word, apoplecticness, but I just used it, so I guess it is a word. You don't want just the reactionaries on the far right, because if you're just getting your information from them, you're going to probably be somewhat skewed. Now, that said, you all have to pick your sources. There are a number of sources who are really important to listen to. The first person that I've gone to, and I don't mean this in an order of like, this is the person I trust the most, I don't mean this at all, is John McWhorter. He is a linguist who I came across six, seven years ago, and I've literally consumed every one of his books. Okay, when I say literally consumed, I listened to them. I didn't eat them. They are amazing books about language, about the history of language. He's done some courses that are available on Audible. And I'm just like a huge John McWhorter fan. And then he comes out with this book after writing some articles in 2020, 2021, that you could tell he was just like, no, this critical race theory stuff is just not good. This woke culture is harmful to black people. And so he wrote a book called Woke Racism. And I think the subtitle is How a New Religion is Harming Black Americans. Okay, so this is a person who is a self-described 1960s liberal. He's never voted Republican in his life. He's always voted Democrat. He is very much in favor of all the Barack Obama, Bill Clinton. I mean, he's, he's been a leftist, right? And what being left has <laughs> become, he is not in favor of, okay? So John McWhorter, Woke Racism, is a book I would strongly recommend. Glenn Lowry, who is a friend of John McWhorter's, who is a black economist at Brown University. He does a podcast called The Glenn Show. Every other week, he and John McWhorter talk with each other. And Glenn Lowry himself is very much aware of the actual data behind things like police brutality. And he is saying that the media narrative and the actual data do not say the same thing. We are told that black people are, for example, we are told that black people are targeted more by police than white people. And he has the data to say that that's not the case. So Glenn Lowry is a good source. And I think, at least from what I can tell, most of his material is via podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast, you might want to listen to The Glenn Show. And you'll also get John McWhorter on that as well. Because he's the every other week person. (laughs) Another person is James Lindsay, who happens to be an atheist who tagged along on or attached himself to the New Atheist Movement a decade or so ago. And now is actually, while he's not a Christian... He's actually even helping churches understand critical race theory. He's a liberal who was kind of a fan of Obama, okay? And he is more of a scientist, critical thinker. He's a mathematician. So you can see that he has a penchant for objectivity. And of course, he is going to be against critical race theory, critical theory. He wrote a book with Helen Pluckrose called Cynical Theories. And if you looked at the cover, the word critical is crossed out with the word cynical above it. How activist scholarship made everything about race, gender, and identity and why this harms everybody. So James Lindsay, he's not a alt-right, far-right person. Glenn Lowry is a black economist from Brown University. John McCorder, who is a, a linguist at Columbia University. And then our dear friend, Matthew Bellis, whose voice you heard at the beginning of this podcast, 
tipped me off to Vadi Bakum Jr. I don't know if I pronounced his name correctly because there's no phonetic spelling on the cover. Called Fault Lines, The Social Justice Movement and Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe. If you want to get a Christian perspective, I would say start with this book called Fault Lines by Vadi T. Bakum Jr. He's fairly well-known I've known about his work for a good number of years, but I haven't, just haven't read anything. But then Matthew said, hey, you need to read this. And so he actually is really good at succinctly talking about what is happening and also describing how it's affecting evangelicalism. And here's the thing. It's not a book about here's what to do per se, although there's that sprinkled throughout. This is a here's an identified problem in evangelicalism. And the book is called Fault Lines because you're seeing a split between people who are embracing critical social justice and those who are not. And so that would be another book that I would strongly recommend reading. But it is not from somebody who is actually favorable to critical race theory. So again, back to principle number one, read people who are favorable to critical race theory who are describing it on their own. And so that would be Critical Race Theory and Introduction by Delgado and Stefanczyk. I'm going to repeat these just so that you're familiar with the books here. So that's principle number three, learn from sources, making rational arguments against critical race theory. Principle number four, tread carefully and only with solid information. Like I mentioned before, sometimes I find myself arguing against somebody and I'm arguing against something that they're not actually arguing for. And I realize that we're talking at cross purposes. So a best practice for me, when I argue with people online about this, when I discuss this, what I don't do is I don't quote James Lindsay. I don't quote John McWhorter, but I quote the source material of their favored critical race theory person. So I had a person that I reached out to and asked him, hey, what should I read? And this person said to me, you should read critical race theory, key leaders that form the movement, so when we ended up talking months later on Facebook, I had read some of those materials and I was actually using the definitions from them to tell him that he was wrong about critical race theory. Because again, this person was saying that it's just really about teaching honest history or something along those lines. So quote the sources that they would be familiar with. If you were arguing with somebody and they were arguing against libertarianism, I know Christian libertarians especially really don't like this because you'll hear someone like Al Mohler when he was discussing with Norman Horn about libertarianism, he started citing Ayn Rand. And it's like, wait a second, she wasn't a libertarian. She was an objectivist. And she definitely wasn't a Christian. So why are you citing Ayn Rand to tell me, a Christian libertarian, why I shouldn't be a Christian libertarian? Okay, so we don't want to be that guy. So try to find the sources that they are referring to. If they are quoting an article, let's say they're posting an article on Facebook and you want to, you're just, yeah, oh my goodness, there's everything wrong with this article. Find the author himself or herself, depending on who the writer is, and find what they've written and use their work to talk about what people are saying. But they're saying this. Why does this not mean that? Remember, language is flexible to critical race theorists. We can make things mean whatever we want. So the other thing is, you want to be aware that connecting the dots between this person and that person can in some ways sound like a conspiracy theory. So when you quote sources in your materials, you need to have, sort of have the attitude of like, I see what's going on here. When someone says X and someone says Y, you have to step back and look at it and say, oh, they're trying to do this. Uh, there's a little bit of speech act theory going on. And because when someone posts an article at a particular time, 
or when they post an article in response to an article. I'm, again, I'm using sort of like posting on Facebook or even maybe Twitter as an example of how people engage to get, uh, with each other on this. You want to be able to say, I see what's going on here and be able to point that out. And that can be a little tricky. And you have to be really careful. At, like I said, tread carefully on this and only do it with solid information by making those actual connections. But then again, critical race theorists are very good at making connections that aren't there. So you have to be better at making connections that are there. Okay. The other thing here is when you're dealing with the folks on the street. Now, I don't know how many of our listeners actually have, you know, sort of academic friends talking about critical race theory in an academic or legal sense. But most of the time, these people are folks on the street. They're the pop level, maybe semi-woke, maybe fully woke person who is just trying to do justice in the way that they know, or they're just kind of going along with the cultural milieu of, oh, I need to be upset that I was born white, or I need to you know, repent of my sin of being white and supporting whiteness and whatever that, whatever all those things entail. And so those people, they're probably not diving into critical race theory or critical theory in the proper sense, but they're just becoming critical social justice warriors. And that's sort of the activist form of critical race theory. When we get to the definition here in a few minutes, you'll see why that's actually not just some spinoff movement. It's actually part of what critical race theory is meant to do. So when you're talking to people on that, just be aware that they're probably not legal scholars that you're talking to. They might actually be pretty good at legal theory. That might not be their field, but they actually understand those critical studies. But just be aware of the person you're talking to because they're not actually maybe defending critical race theory, but they're possibly sort of backpedaling or running to defend only the sort of defensible position, the uncontroversial thing like teaching honest history. And so they might actually just be saying that like, oh, well, we just need to teach honest history. Well, okay, yeah, but that's not critical race theory. I mean, that that's a part of it. I mean, maybe it's true that we're teaching more honest history because critical race theory existed, but those things aren't necessarily causal. You can actually be completely against critical race theory and be a strong advocate of teaching honest and more thorough history about America's issues in the past, racism in the past, white supremacy issues in the past. We can even admit that those things exist. There's nothing wrong with admitting those things exist. It's what their explanatory power is. So as you deal with and talk to people about these things, be measured, be precise in your conversations with their adherents because you want to be better at them at discussing the topic. Okay, last principle. Understand that you are playing a language game, okay? I've sort of alluded to this already. So you need to understand them in their own words. This does not mean that you will understand them in everyday language. So when they talk about liberation or freedom, they mean those in very specific ways. I'll give you an example. The word freedom doesn't mean freedom as in like individual freedom. It means not being oppressed by your boss or not being oppressed by the man or not being oppressed by whatever it might be. It basically means being out of a state of oppression, okay? In some ways, it's like, well, wait, what's wrong with that definition? But you got to get from them, what does the definition mean? Because if you don't share their dictionary, the vocabulary will be very, very problematic to understand. And this is actually a tactical way in which they infiltrate institutions. This is a way in which the activists are basically saying things that everybody's like, well, sure, I don't mind diversity. I don't mind 
emotional learning. I mean, who, I mean, we need we all need to understand each other and have better empathy with each other, right? Okay. And then it means other things as well once those things are institutionalized. That's for another podcast, hopefully with an expert a little bit more seasoned in that than I am. When you discuss with them, press for better definitions. Ask them to understand what they mean and make sure they're not actually just repeating themselves in sort of a tautological sense. Ask them for data. I did this the other day. It was a Robert Reich meme that said, I forget what the stat was, but it was about billionaires and poor people and student debt or something like that. And I was like, okay, what's the source? And the person said to me in reply, Robert Reich is the source. I'm like, oh, did he run the study? Did he run the data? Where's the link to where this data is? Data are. Where is the link, right? Find out where the data exist rather than just going on assertions. This is, we're living in a meme world. And so it's very difficult to people to do that because people will share things that sort of align with their assumptions about the world and they don't realize that they're just repeating garbage statistics. And you also want to point out the motive attributions that are inherent in their arguments. This is a little tricky as well because you don't want to sort of attribute motive where it doesn't exist. But when you see people constantly posting things or constantly talking about how white people just don't understand how racist they are, you have to get to the bottom of like, why, why is this so important to you? You, the person you're talking to here. It's very interesting to me that it becomes sort of the thing to do and to be anti-racist, to be against certain things or to be anti-capitalist or whatever. The other thing is they are also really, really good at pointing out motives in other people. I see this all the time, and this is not new, of course, but it is very Marxian in its origins. It is basically rich people are trying to keep poor people down. And that's just the way it's always been. And rich people only care about greed. Billionaires are just so greedy. They only care about themselves. Well, you're, you're seeing and witnessing what is motive attribution. They're basically saying, this is the reason that, say, Elon Musk is doing what he's doing. It's because he just wants more money. Oh, really? Oh, okay. You know this for sure? Like, you understand his heart? I realize that you can see people and be like, oh, yeah, they're in it for themselves. Like, there are people out there like that, okay? There are people out there who are very much about themselves, and you can identify those. But it doesn't mean that just because you see something bad happen or that because they belong to a group called billionaires, that they are just simply greedy because not all billionaires are greedy. Then again... Maybe just simply because you're a billionaire, the only reason you can become a billionaire is because you're greedy. I don't know. Maybe that's something I'm not awoken to. So let's talk a little bit about what critical race theory is in a nutshell. And in keeping with my <laughs> read the original sources, I'm basically going to read to you the definition of critical race theory from them, okay? And by them, I mean Richard Delgado and Gene Stefanczyk from Critical Race Theory and Introduction. All right, here we go. The critical race theory movement is a collection of activists and scholars, note, activists and scholars, interested in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power. The movement considers many of the same issues that conventional civil rights and ethnic studies discourses take up, but places them in a broader perspective that includes economics, history, context, group and self-interest, and even feelings and the unconscious. Unlike traditional civil rights, which embraces incrementalism and step-by-step -step progress, 
Critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. That's the end of the quote of the basically the first two pages in Critical Race Theory, an introduction. It's, it's in the first couple paragraphs. What did you hear in there? <laughs> I'll repeat some of the things you probably heard. Interested in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power. Even feelings and the unconscious. Those are ways of understanding the discourse of race relations. Okay, not terrible. Unlike traditional civil rights, which embraces incrementalism, critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. We'll get to the neutral principles of constitutional law here in a minute. But when they directly say they are anti-liberal, I don't know why people are calling these people liberals. Please stop calling these libs or libtards, or whatever word you're using for people who are the woke, they are not liberals. This is an anti-liberal theory. This is an anti-liberal ideology. And as John McWhorter, James Lindsay, and several others have said, it's basically an anti-liberal religion, okay? So these people are not liberals. Got it? Don't call them liberals. You can call them the left. You can try to call them progressives because that's what they tend to call themselves anyway, but they're not liberals. And please join me in the redefining of these leftists as illiberals, not liberals. Okay, so it further elaborates in the core tenets that first, racism is ordinary, not aberrational. Quote, normal science, the usual way society does business, the common everyday experience of most people of color in this country. So basically, they're saying that racism is there. It is not an aberration. It is just part of everyday life. It is not something that sometimes happens and most of the time doesn't, or even 50-50 or whatever. Racism happens all the time in all places. Second, most would agree that our system of white over-color ascendancy serves important purposes, both psychic and material. The first feature, ordinariness, means that racism is difficult to cure or address. Colorblind or formal conceptions of equality expressed in rules that insist only on treatment that is the same across the board can thus remedy only the most blatant forms of discrimination, such as mortgage redlining or the refusal to hire a black PhD rather than a white high school dropout, that do stand out and attract our attention. The second feature, sometimes called interest convergence or material determinism, adds a further dimension because racism advances the interests of both white elites materially and working class people psychically large segments of society have little incentive to eradicate it. In other words, and Derek Bell is the person who talked about interest convergence theory, is basically we had civil rights because it benefited white people. Do you see that? It's like somebody sitting from my end of this, I'm like, well, everybody does everything because it benefits them. Like at some point, white people decided this is bad for us too. Okay, what's wrong with that? Like what would have been the better choice to say, oh, you know what? We don't think this is good for us, but we'll do it anyway? Like, is that what they were supposed to say? Because it technically was better for them to make everybody more equal because it was in standing with their liberal values and enlightenment rationalism that all men are created equal, okay? Endowed by their creator with inalienable rights. I mean, that's what we should have done, right? It should have happened. I mean, wouldn't it have been nice? I wish somebody could write like a historical fiction on what if the Revolutionary War were also about freeing slaves. In reality, it would have been really cool if all of the founding fathers were like, no, we need these people to be freed. And that's why we're breaking away from Great Britain. That would have been really cool. That's not how it happened. We can't go back in time and change that. But 
it would have been really cool, right? So like, what else can people do except do things that are in benefit to themselves and it converges with the interests of others? So anyway, interest convergence theory, that's actually its own tangential thing on critical race theory. Okay, back to reading. A third theme of critical race theory, the social construction thesis, holds that race and races are products of social thought and relations. Not objective, inherent, or fixed, they correspond to no biological or genetic reality. Rather, races are categories that society invents, manipulates, or retires when convenient. That society frequently chooses to ignore these scientific facts, creates races, and endows them with pseudo-permanent characteristics is of great interest to critical race theory. Okay, that's the end of the quote. So basically what they're saying is race is a social construct. Okay, fine. We're all humans and equal, and in the eyes of God, there are no races. No problem there. My question for them is why are they making everything about these social constructs of race? Well, the answer is to step out of my read <laughs> read from them with positive motive here. The reason is that they would not have a movement if they didn't do this. So it actually began, critical race theory began more as a strictly legal theory in order to address what they would say are the subtler forms of racism in the 60s and 70s. The idea here being that because civil rights basically codified into law equality of black people and minorities with white people, that racism went underground. Okay, there's nothing really controversial about that. I mean, it's not like everybody just stopped becoming racists. Just like not everybody stopped becoming communists in 19, you know, at the end of the 1980s. So here's a quote from the book again. From critical legal studies, the group borrowed the idea of legal indeterminacy, the idea that not every legal case has one correct outcome. Instead, one can decide most cases either way by emphasizing one line of authority over another or interpreting one fact differently from the way one's adversary does. Now, here's something that's really interesting about this. I read that statement the very first time and I thought, well, there's actually a lot of truth in that, okay? Not every legal case has one correct outcome, okay? And they actually have some examples of this in the book. They're actual examples. They're not just made up. Oh, well, if a black kid goes into court because he's been stealing you know, then maybe there's a reason for that that we don't know. And it's something like just hypothetical per se. They actually have legal cases that they talk about. It's okay in my mind, and you can write to me if you want, that there are legal cases. And this is why we have judges. This is why we have the idea of empathy. We have the idea of understanding context that just because one person has done something and another person has done exactly the same thing, that their circumstances are always going to have the same correct outcome, okay? There is nothing wrong with judging with empathy. That doesn't mean that that's like the only thing you judge with. It's like, oh, you know what? I need to have empathy, so I'm going to let these, you know, pedophiles go free or whatever it might be, right? Like that's kind of the latest thing about that the right is really upset about is like being lenient, okay? So they want hard justice. You know, if you broke the law, you pay the price because that's what everybody wants to do. And, and you know what? We have to start somewhere. But there is wiggle room and I'm okay with that. But that doesn't mean that we need to see everything in terms of race. So what critical race theory has sort of led to, as we've sort of alluded to that, and I've read, is that it's become more than just about critical legal studies, right? And it's become a broader movement that's sort of splintered into different movements. You have colonial theory, queer theory, gender theory, all these other theories that have come out of critical theory and critical race theory. And this movement of critical social justice or wokeism, or however you want to call it, is basically this idea that society is divided between oppressor and the oppressed, okay? Ever since the pandemic, 
people have pointed out that look at all these billionaires making so much money and look at all these other people just struggling to make ends meet. And people have made these sort of critiques of society and of capitalism and free markets, even though they're not actually the results of free markets, ever since Marx, right? So these are people who are bent on seeing the world as black and white or white and non-white. They're seeing the world in terms of oppressor and oppressed. And so in that way, it is a very neo-Marxist theory. So in terms of sort of some concluding thoughts here, what are some preliminary things that I've learned in my, I'd say almost a year foray into understanding critical race theory? Critical race theory does not stand on its own. It has an ideological history behind it. So if you want to start, start with critical theory and understand that critical theory in contrast to traditional theory is not just understanding how the world is, it's understanding how to point out what's wrong in the world and radically transform it to correct it. Okay, so a traditional theory would be like, hey, here's how the world works. Critical theory is like, here's a whole bunch of bad things and here's what we think we should do about it. Okay, the other thing that is also behind critical race theory is postmodernism as a philosophy and the idea of deconstruction, which is interesting because I learned back to my seminary days that deconstruction inherently has a phase of reconstruction in it. And it does not seem that critical theorists really have a good reconstruction theory, which is why liberalism is actually still far better. Another thing is critical race theory adherence basically try to make critical race theory less than it really is, which can be kind of confusing. They say, oh, it's only a legal theory. That's not, a, it's not, this doesn't explain why there's sexual discussion being allowed or prohibited in, you know, Florida schools, you know, because the right will just say, oh, these are critical race theorists. They just want to teach our kids about sex. Nope. They will say, no, it's just a legal theory. Well, yes, it is just a legal theory. But critical theories have splintered off into like gender studies, queer theories, and so forth. And so they are connected in a way. So when you talk to people about this, be clear in how you describe things. Be clear in the connections between the phenomenon in woke culture because they're not all stemming from critical race theory. Others defend it as, oh, it's just teaching honest history. And what's interesting to me about this is not just about teaching honest history because technically when you say something factual about the past, you're also going to not say everything. You can't teach a fifth grader everything about history. You learn it over the years and over the years. And, you know, as adults, we're kind of realizing, oh my goodness, maybe America has a lot of dark spots in its history that are really, really not places for us to be proud of. But the reasons we shouldn't be proud of them is that we didn't live up to our ideals, not just because we had this tribal thing still going on from our more primitive days where we had to be tribal, or not had to be, but were tribal, maybe had to be. So it's not just teaching honest history. And we can be okay with teaching honest history and even teaching more history from different perspectives. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's when that's paired with an agenda to make being white something that we just need to be perpetually guilty about and do penance every, every Monday morning in school or something. <laughs> Another thing I've learned about all this is that critical race theory doesn't seem to be solving anything. It actually seems to be creating more polarized world and more distrust between people, among people of different races. And I don't see any problem that critical race theory has properly identified as a real genuine problem that maybe we just didn't see before. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's right. We should probably be focusing on this in, in the legal institutions or whatever. That cannot be addressed with a better liberalism. 
Liberalism values universals, equality. It centers human dignity regardless of race. Remember we talked about how race is a social construct or they talked about race as a social construct? Well, liberalism can say that and be like, all right, we're going to treat everybody equal regardless of race. Why can't we go for that? Well, apparently that's a white supremacist idea or something. I don't know. I literally heard somebody by listening to a podcast today that the term Western civilization is coded language for whiteness. Okay, well, just because it came from white people doesn't mean it's whiteness. I mean, I do understand that there are people who thought being white or being from the north of the globe was assumed to be superior. I get that people were doing that. That doesn't mean that all ideas that come from them are bad. Liberalism accepts criticism, even of itself. (laughs) And it's therefore self-correcting. We can still be more free if we continue to value those tenets, which are individual liberty, equality of opportunity, freedom, open inquiry, free speech, and debate. By the way, that is probably the first symptom that we are heading down a very dangerous path for civilization is that free speech is being pilloried, basically. So some of these definitions that I've just sort of read here from the Lindsay and Pluckrose book, Cynical Theories. So anyway, I think liberal institutions are still superior to tribal instincts. And there is nothing white about that in my mind that is just happens to be true because it treats everybody equally. So what resources? I've sort of read them as I've gone through things. So I'm just going to read some critical people about critical race theory and woke culture. That is James Lindsay, John McWhorter, Helen Pluckrose, Charles Pincourt, Vadi Bakum, Phil Magnus, Thomas Sowell, and Douglas Murray. There are more. You can feel free to share with me any books or resources that you've really enjoyed on that. People who are supportive. And some of these people haven't really read a whole lot of what they are, but I know that they are supportive. And so if you want to hear more about critical race theory and perhaps why it's not such a big deal from Christians, you could go with David French, David Gushy, Jim Wallace, and all the people at Sojourners, and Nathan Cartagena, who is interviewed on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. That's how I know of him. He is at Wheaton Wheaton College, Wheaton University. He's at Wheaton. So I've already mentioned what you can expect from LCI in the coming months. I am hoping to interview a handful of people. If you have any connection to the ones other than Phil Magnus that I've already interviewed, that I can interview some of these people, I would love to hear a connection. I have been trying to reach out to them and want to have good conversations with them because I think they have a lot to offer. I do have some critical questions I want to ask, pun intended, that make me want to push them a little bit in their understanding. One thing that I have, and I'll close with this, this is still the dilemma for me. I listen to multiple voices that I trust. And when some of them say critical race theory is this and others say critical race theory is that, I'm like, well, I need to decide this for myself, what it really is. What has been interesting to me is when I read the definitions of critical race theories, like the ones I read to you, I look at those and I say, okay, this makes complete sense. I think I understand what this person is saying. And when I hear the people from the critical race theory camp tell me that those words don't mean what they mean. I'm like, wait, what? I don't understand. This is, I'm just reading your own literature. Oh, well, that's not what we mean. And then they kind of obfuscate and so forth. And then I listen to someone like James Lindsay tell me what he thinks these words mean and they align. And I'm thinking, hmm, my own sense of here's what these people mean when they say what they're writing 
is aligned with the people who are more critical of it. Okay, so I don't think that means that there's nothing of value in learning about critical race theory because in the legal perspective, or I should say the legal component of it, I think there's actually a lot to deal with. Libertarians have been at the forefront of criminal justice reform. And I think there might be a lot of overlap in that particular area. When it comes to a social movement phenomenon, I think critical race theory is probably pretty dangerous to the liberal order and should be dealt with and understood in that. I'm always willing to be wrong. I'm always willing to say, ah, okay, maybe this is okay to do. But there are values that we hold, mostly liberal values, that we hold as libertarians and as Christians generally in the West that these are coming directly against. And sometimes they come to us from people who are well-steeped in Old Testament, New Testament theology, and they look at certain texts and they say, ah, look, we see oppression. Look, God is on the side of the oppressed. Great. I completely agree. That doesn't mean that we need to be Marxists and have an analysis that says we need to you know, awaken to a class consciousness and uprise against white elites. Okay, so there's, there's a huge step between that. Just because Jesus wants everybody to be fed and that we want social justice doesn't mean we need to have universal basic income, okay? The state becoming part of this equation is completely lost on them that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the state is very much the oppressor. So in some sense, we can agree, and I'm being somewhat facetious, but I think we all get the truth in this, is that there is an oppressor and an oppressed class. And the oppressor class is the state. And those who are part of the apparatus of the state. And so we can be against the oppressor class in that way. So I will leave you with that on my thoughts on how to understand and learn about critical race theory. Again, I'm still sort of learning this as I go. And I wanted to sort of share with you my journey along the way to kind of give you a sense of where is it going why do we need to deal with it? How can we be proper liberals and battle against an idea that might have some truth to it, but it is not the whole truth, okay? That's the whole thing about critical race theory is that they want to make this the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that is not good at all. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Hey, everyone. If you're like me, you listen to a lot of podcasts by producers and creators who have a listener support model. Sometimes people call it the Patreon model, where they ask listeners to give them money to keep the podcast going because they want a list of supporters. And there's certain benefits to doing that. They offer you know free episodes ahead of time or bonus content and so forth. LCI has taken a different approach because we're a 501c3 nonprofit. We operate solely on the donations of those who are generous and love what we do. 
Now, we are totally appreciative of the fact that we have a growing audience and everybody's sharing our content. But if you'd like to be one of the people who donate to the Libertarian Christian Institute, because we're a nonprofit, it's actually tax deductible. You can do that at libertarianchristians.com slash donate. You can donate in a number of ways, some of which incur fees for us and some of which do not. And you can either choose to pay those fees or not. However you want to do it, any small amount actually helps. We actually do encourage people to sign up for some sort of monthly contribution. So that gives us a better sense of how things are going to go each month through the year. So even if it's as little as five, 10 bucks a month, that really helps us a lot. You know, that really adds up when more and more people do it. So we appreciate all of your support, whether it's sharing, liking, reviewing, and doing all that. But we, of course, appreciate an actual financial donation to the Libertarian Christian Institute.